This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Yes, I get to sit in the seat for Brian Kilmeade again. Yes, I am Mary Walter, and boy, do we have um, a lot planned for you today in the show. Coming up in about 40 minutes will be Ami Horowitz. He is a filmmaker, political satirist. You've probably seen a lot of his videos on social media. And he, the recent one that he did, he went into CHOP. Which is what the the I guess the the zone the state the area formerly known as Chaz, which I have to say I'm more in the passing of Chaz because I thought it, I really liked the name I'm like well that's just snazzy you know it's just like so happy, uh, Chaz Chop just reminds me of a steakhouse. Um, I, I thought mm, nah, not good marketing. Chaz was far better marketing than Chop, but they changed it from Chaz to Chop because that was the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, whereas Chop is the Capitol Hill Occupied Protest. They didn't want to be autonomous because autonomous is like being the parents in a relationship, where Chop means you're just occupying, kind of like they do with their parents' basement. So Chop is like when you when you're an adult and you still live in your parents' home home and your mother still does your laundry for you and your father still pays for all the food and the electric and the Wi-Fi and you get everything done for you and anything you need your parents give you. Whereas Chaz, you have to provide everything for yourself because you're autonomous and that's a lot of work and it's really hard. So they said, oh yeah, we like be, we like playing house, but we really don't want the responsibilities of house. Uh, so we're going to just go to Occupied. Because that's where they're comfortable. That's their comfort zone. Um, so they're still, of course, don't let anybody fool you, 100% uh, dependent on the government that they want to get rid of, which is hilarious and hypocritical. But we've all seen the hypocrisy surrounding uh, CHOP. So we're going to go through that with Ami Horowitz. He had some fun. Got some great audio when he went to go visit them. I think he calls it the demented zone. I think that's what he called it. Um, but he, he, he had some fun there. But so first, the president has a big rally tomorrow in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Today and tomorrow in Tulsa, they're having a huge celebration for Juneteenth. They have a two-day festival going on uh, near the downtown area where the president will be appearing. And they're having um, street vendors and they're having food food trucks and music and all sorts of games for the kids. It's going to be a lot of fun. And it's a, it's a big celebration. It will run all day. I think it starts to uh, like 10 o'clock in the morning, something like that. I know Saturday it starts early and it goes to like 11 o'clock at night. Um, and the president, of course, will be also Saturday in downtown Tulsa. There are also anti-Trump rallies planned for Tulsa um, because the president's there and they need something to protest, you know, because they haven't probably protested in a couple of days. So they need to tear something up. Um, so what's interesting is, uh, the, <laughs> a law firm filed a lawsuit against the rally in Tulsa, against the president's rally in Tulsa. Here's Paul DeMuro, 
who I believe is one of the lawyers, talking about why they they uh, filed a lawsuit to try to prevent the rally from moving forward tomorrow. All we're asking is very simple. If the president wants to hold a rally here, he needs to abide by the social distancing guidelines of his own CDC that has ranked indoor events such as this, where there'll be singing and, sh- and shouting, and it should be a singing and boisterous and shouting event. And where that happens, the CDC has said unequivocally that this is the highest risk event for transmission of the virus. This is a super spreader event in downtown Tulsa. So see, Mr. DeMuro, lawyer DeMuro, he's just concerned for your safety and health. That's it. It's not that he wants to stop the rally. It's not that he wants to have fewer people there making everyone socially distanced six feet apart. No, he just wants to make sure that Trump supporters are healthy. He has your best interest at heart. This is why when the government tells me that they're doing something in my best interest, you know, for me to keep me safe, I look back and I go, "Mm mm-hmm. What's the ulterior motive? Because clearly Mr. DeMuro did not care about any of those protesters' safety. He clearly didn't care about any of the rioters' safety because I didn't see any kind of lawsuit. And maybe I'm wrong. If someone in Tulsa knows differently, uh, you can give me a call at 866-408-7669. But, um, but didn't Mr. DeMuro file a lawsuit against any kind of protests in downtown Tulsa in order to keep those protesters safe and to ensure social, social distancing guidelines? My, my hunch is, and again, I'm not psychic, but I learned from history and from experiences, that's a big fat no, that there was none of that filed because the virus only spreads among Trump supporters. Not even the virus wants to hang around with a bunch of liberals. Like even, even the virus finds them insufferable and doesn't want to hang around them. They're like, we're going to go over here with the Trump supporters. It's a much better crowd to hang out in. Clearly, that's what's happening. Uh, the uh, Tulsa Health Department Director, Dr. Bruce Dart, was asked about this and also expressed some concern about the rally on Saturday. I think it's important for people to use their voice, but we also are, are in a time when, when we're in the middle of a pandemic. And so there's danger as you do it. So if you want to use your voice, do it safely, wear your mask, social distance, because coming together is a definite possibility of seeing increased infections and increased deaths from those infections. People coming together without taking precautions is what causes the, the virus to transmit. It gives the virus the ability to transmit from person to person. So, of course, we're concerned. Yeah, you can be concerned, and I get it. I totally get it. But people are signing waivers just like you would at any other event where you you know promise not to hold people liable. Um, and and I'm just a big fan of personal choice. The left knows about choice. They're big fans of choice. So I am a big fan of choice as well. I think you should have the right to choose whether to go to the Trump rally or not. If you don't want to go, no one's forcing you to go. See, that's the difference between the left and the right when it comes to choice. The, the right doesn't insist that their choices be foisted upon everyone, whereas the left does. That's the difference between the right and the left. If the left doesn't like something, if they don't like guns, they don't want anyone to have guns because that's their choice. Whereas the right says, if you, if you don't want to have a gun, don't have one. That's your choice. 
but they're, they, they hold the same standards to, to this event as well. And personally, I would go, I would go to, to a rally. Um, I'm not a fan of masks. They're hot. They're impossible to breathe in. Um, I also understand the t- statistics of the virus. And I know that the survival rate is something like nine nine ninety nine 99.96 or 97%. Um, if you told me I could win millions of dollars in the lottery with those odds, I would probably plunk down a hefty chunk of change to buy the tickets. I would take that risk. But that's me. And that may not be you. You may have health issues that you're not comfortable with. So, okay, don't go, right? Uh, Let's go to cut four here, Justin. Uh, President Trump was on with Sean Hannity, and he responded to these critics and what they're saying. He's well aware of what they're saying. And uh, he points out the hypocrisy, as only the president can do. Maybe you should change the name of the rally and call it a protest and maybe they will say it's okay then yeah well that's true the protests i mean the protesters and anarchists and terrorists and uh, looters and all of the people that were marching on various locations over the last couple of weeks that's died down they've lost some energy that's good but uh because many of them don't even know what they're protesting frankly he's right a lot of them don't know what they're protesting. And actually, when we speak with Ami coming up um, in about probably about 30 minutes, we'll talk to him because he also noted that a lot of these people in shop have no clue what the heck they're protesting, none whatsoever. Everybody is, they're just there. It's like hate Ashbury in the 60s, which I don't remember, but I remember, you know, looking at pictures of it and things like that and just thinking, dirty hippies. I mean, <laughs> Even back then, I'd be like, oh, dirty hippies. <laughs> but those hippies grew up and had little hippie children and grandchildren. And um, I think that's what you're seeing now in in Seattle, in Chop, and other areas where they're trying to occupy these zones. Um, there are states that are seeing more cases of coronavirus. You have, um, you know, Florida. Listen to the Florida, this, the Keys area. They have they have cases going up. They have more cases going up. And remember, this is an area where they put up roadblocks that if you had license plates from out of state, particularly New York and New Jersey in the beginning of the pandemic, because they were all New York and New Jersey, they're fleeing that area to get out. And they were going down to their to their homes or second homes in, you know, tax friendly Florida and the Carolinas. And so they were coming down 95 and Florida put up roadblocks and you had to um, volunteer. You had a quarantine for 14 days and some people were being turned away with, I think I could correct me if I'm wrong uh, with those license plates. But I know they were asking people to, to quarantine for two weeks. Well, now the Florida Keys has voted. It's it's that's Monroe County that you, everyone visitors and um, people who live there, employees and customers, have to wear face coverings now in any establishment or they face a $500 fine. Um, they, they, this is a little bit stricter than what the governor, Ron DeSantis, has put in. Listen to this. The facial coverings will be mandatory until at least June 1st of 2021. Can you imagine wearing a face mask in the Florida Keys in August? Can you even begin to imagine what that will be like? They're going to revisit the restriction on a quarterly basis. I cannot even begin to imagine. Uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci walked back some guidance on face masks. So I'm going to share with you what he had to say. And I'll also uh, share what some of the statistics are coming out from some other states about coronavirus. And we're going to talk about the numbers And the numbers that you're being given, and if those are really the numbers that count, 
It's all coming up. I'm Mary Walters sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We did not want them to be without the equipment that they needed. So there was not enthusiasm about going out and everybody buying a mask or getting a mask. We were afraid that that would deter away from the people who really needed it. Although there appeared to be some contradiction of you were saying this then and why you're saying this now, actually the circumstances have changed. So that was Dr. Fauci on whether you need a mask or not, because everyone's saying, I need a mask. I don't need a mask. So remember, in the beginning, they were saying that masks don't work. Masks don't work. You don't need a mask. Masks don't work. So people are like, oh, okay. Because they, and you heard him, because they didn't want people go running out and buying masks. So I'm supposed to believe that this guy has my best interests at heart, that he's trying to keep me safe. And we just didn't. We wanted the people who really need them to have the masks. So we just said, like, masks don't work. We, we just said that, you know, really, it's not necessary. Um, and, and I, I'm putting words in his mouth there when I said that they didn't work, but he, but he's, you heard him say that they weren't necessary. Then they changed their tune and now masks are necessary. Then masks were necessary outside. Now masks aren't necessary outside. And then they're like, well, masks really don't prevent the spread. That was the latest from the world health organization is masks really don't prevent the spread the way we, we thought they did. And it's so confusing. I see more and more people just not wearing them. And you have two camps, the people who wear the mask in the car, which I'm like, seriously, you're, you're going, you're going to pass out from lack of oxygen. Your, your entire car is a mask. It's one huge mask with filtered air. Stop it. I'm bicycling with masks on. And then you see people who like walk in the store 
with no mask on. They just walk right in and somebody will say something and they're like, I have medical condition and they just keep walking. So we seem to be just separating into two camps yet again. Um, You know, we talk about these numbers and you'll see these numbers, 23 states seeing upward trends in newly reported cases, Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, California, Delaware, Florida, on and on and on. Uh, Eight states seeing steady numbers of newly reported cases Um, um, and some states seeing downward trends. Uh, Vermont seeing a decrease of at least 50%. But when you hear those numbers, cases are spiking in some states. Florida has the markings of the next epicenter, according to Johns Hopkins University. We're testing more people. So as you test more people, you would think that there would be more positive cases. And is that the number that matters? Or is it the number of people who are hospitalized? We flattened the curve so that the hospitals weren't overwhelmed. Right. And the curve has been flattened. So when you hear these numbers, people are like, oh, my gosh, it's spreading. It's a pandemic. You know, it's going to be the next epicenter in Florida. Here's Dr. Mark Siegel on with Fox and Friends talking about um, flattening that curve and the hospitals being overwhelmed. The increase in testing has led to an increase in tracing people in most of these states where we can figure out who has it and who, who's been in contact with them. One thing we haven't seen, and this is the thing I look at the most, is we haven't seen a jump in the hospitalization rates in these states affected to where hospitals can handle it. That's what we're most, most That's interested great. in. Again, yeah. we, the testing is a very positive thing. And as far as that contact tracing goes, remember... We were told, oh, you know, you could give it to people and you don't even know you're giving it. And then what did we hear about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago? We're not so sure that if you're asymptomatic, if you're asymptomatic, we don't think you're spreading the virus. So, so now this whole thing of everybody has to make, cause you're, you're protecting me from you. So you need to wear a mask and I wear a mask to protect you from me. Well, If you're asymptomatic, the new guidance that we just heard about a week and a half or so ago was, we're not so sure it works that way. So again, there's so many questions that it really is, it's just super confusing. Uh, Again, Dr. Mark Siegel on Fox and Friends talking about protests. If we can have protests, why um, can't we have rallies? And he talks about the numbers coming out of the protests of people who were infected. The protests around the United States have not yet shown an uptick of cases. Minneapolis just studied this and did not show an uptick of cases. So if we're going to have protests, we certainly can have rallies. And the state of Oklahoma only had 185 185 new cases in the entire state yesterday. So I think that's a good choice of states. I think the masks and the hand sanitizers are a good idea. I would add, if there's a way to build in some social distancing, which you know I'm a big fan of, it's very hard to do that at rallies, but that should be something we should at least keep in mind. So we have to, we can't have it both ways. If we're going to have protests, we have to be able to have rallies. So think about it for everyone who says, oh, but you're protecting me from you and I'm protecting you from me. If that's true, all those protesters who didn't have masks on and they didn't see an uptick in cases. So they weren't protecting each other right from themselves. So how do you explain the lack of uptick in cases? So there are a lot of unanswered questions here. And I, I think that in the beginning, we probably went overboard, which I'm not against going overboard in the beginning. I was against shutting down our economy. I, I, I was a big fan of let's look at other, let's look at Europe. Let's see what happened over there. Let's look at Sweden. Let's look at Switzerland. Let's look at other places that didn't shut down and what happened there because they were a couple of weeks ahead of us and learn a lesson from someone who's already been down that road. 
but we didn't do that. And, and, and so, um, I, I think that that, that probably was a lot, we, we lost what we, a, we, a trillion, trillion dollars in the economy, something like that. And we crashed the economy. There are some people who lost their businesses. We'll never get them back. And I'd hate to find out that we did that out of fear or we did it out of ignorance. And we've scared a lot of people in this country. And I know some people to this who won't go, they won't go outside without a mask. I see them walking down the street with masks and gloves on. Like, do you think it enters through your hands? Is that what you think happens here? They never told us to wear gloves. Um, You remember when you had to wipe down all your mail that came into the house? Now they're like, yeah, we don't think it lives on surfaces the way we thought it lived on surfaces. But yet they're still having, you know, everybody sanitize every business in between everybody who walks through the door. So um, a lot we don't know. Coming up, though, Ami Horowitz, filmmaker, political satirist, went inside CHOP and is going to give us a full report. It's great. Coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This is a peaceful zone. This is part of the deep-seated protests uh, and rage around police brutality. The ascent to which it has been peaceful since Monday, after more than a week of clashes between the demonstrators and the police, now you've seen essentially almost like a street festival type atmosphere. A street festival type atmosphere. No, with a very it is not a street festival. With a very intentional purpose. It is not a street festival. With it is not a street festival. Do not say that. Please Shame on not. you for saying that. What you're seeing in front of me is a peaceful situation. In fact, it sort of looks like a street festival uh here to discuss that peaceful street festival ami horowitz filmmaker political satirist find him at ami ami horowitz on twitter uh ami i loved the video when you went into chop and you talked to these people i wish there was more to it from what i saw i only saw a couple of minutes of i'm like no where's the rest of this this is fantastic uh, kudos to you for going in there and and real and getting these people to talk to you. It was really super interesting. What made you decide to go in there? I would have been afraid because they say it's peaceful, but I don't think it is. Maybe on the outside it is, but I don't know if what, what's really going on is peaceful. Well, look, you know, when you look at when you first come in, first of all, you know, you have to go. I went to get to uh, to New York to Chaz Consulate. I got my visa. <laughs> and then, so I had no problem getting in. So, but you know, in, in reality, you walk in, there are barricades, but there's nobody checking IDs. You, you, you can walk in and out relatively freely. And yes, the, the veneer of it is in fact like a street fair party. There's clowns, there's people blowing balloons and there's a picnic, a very dirty street fair to be frank. But the truth is once you start to scratch the surface, you start to see like the darkness starts to bleed out. First of all, when we first got there, uh, it, it took maybe three or four minutes. This is before they recognized me. When they recognized me, we had to leave because it got very uncomfortable and scary. But before they recognized me, you know, people came up to us and threatened us because we had a camera crew, and they looked at a camera crew and said, "Well, that's that's the enemy because they're going to, you know, supposedly ostensibly expose the truth." Although with the mainstream media, that's usually not the case. 
several minutes after that, uh, two very armed people in full military gear came up to us and started interrogating us, interrogating me, interrogating my crew, trying to intimidate us, and then said, okay, fine, you know, we're going to watch you guys, but you guys can walk around if you want to do what you do. And, and then we began asking very, what I think are very basic questions, but questions that really aren't being asked by the mainstream media. So, for example, we asked, do you guys support the violence? Do you guys support the rioting and the looting? And, and Mary, this has been consistent, not just between, just not just in Chaz, but when I went to the riots in Minneapolis, when I went to, to, to the protests in, in New York, all of the protesters... Almost every single one, we probably spoke to over 100, almost every single one supported, justified the violence. So yeah. they really are giving the, the protesters the, the room to breathe. Uh, and, and that's kind of one of the major problems that I found. You know, one of the other problems, and I'm just going to play this for you. This is, um, let's go to cut 10 here. This is a John McDermott, a Seattle business owner. And um, he is one of these people who is kind of caught here. He's on the edges of Chaz or Chop or whatever you want to call it. He's on the edge. His business is just outside, but it was a victim of some of that violence you're talking about. Here he is. I dialed 911. I'm asking for the police to come. Police didn't come. I kept calling and you know letting them know what was going on that the that the 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 brood was growing that you know this was going to get really ugly. They still didn't respond. Um, uh, I, I honestly don't know how many times I called, um, uh, but they but they never they never responded. So it, this is a Seattle taxpayer who is stuck here in this lawless area right on the edges of the lawless zone and the animals came out from you know from behind the, their self-imposed cages and um he he and his son caught one guy who was uh, supposedly trying to set their building on fire an arsonist and then the crowd came for him to be free they came for their guy what what's happening to these business owners did you get to talk to any of them I didn't. Um, they, they really, when they see you with a, with a camera crew, like I said, they've got armed people there. They try to keep you very, very much away from the residents and the businesses of the area. But I'll tell you this. First of all, if you're living there, you're at the tender mercies of the mob. That's, that's literally how you're living day to day. Now, I'm not saying you're being attacked by the mob day to day if you're living there, but you just can't get up and decide, I'm going to drive to the supermarket. It's a problem. The whole place is closed down. You, have, you literally have to get one of these people who run this, 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 the, the Chop Chaz place, and get them to escort you out. You're, the, the bottoms of the buildings are all, the windows are broken, there's graffiti everywhere. I mean, it's horrific to live there. These are holy, look, they, 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 they're serious in their radicalism. There's no question about it. They're unserious people. But what they represent is very serious. I want to make sure your, your audience understands what, who these people are and what they represent. They're asking not only forget defund the police. They're not asking only to abolish the police. They want, this is in their manifesto. They want to abolish the entire judicial system. They want to abolish, they want to abolish prison. They want to let every single person in prison out. This is what they stand for. This is the radicalism that's imbued in them. These are not just people who believe in black lives being important. We all believe that. Okay, let's be serious here. We all believe that. These people are trying to guide us into anarchy. They want us to descend into anarchy so they can rebuild America in their warped image. This is exactly what these movements want. 
did did you get an opportunity to say to any of these people? I saw that you you interviewed um one of the winners, Jaden uh, winners, one of the organizers, Jaden Grayson, who's one of the leaders of the movement. Um, it, you kept your tongue, at least from what I saw, and I was shocked because the hypocrisy abounds. They want no borders; they want all illegals to be allowed into America. Yet they erected borders around their state. They enforce those borders. They don't want IDs uh, to vote, but yet they are in some instances asking for IDs in order to get in. You know, we do have, we actually have some of your interview with uh, Jaden Grayson here. I want the, I want the audience to be able to hear this. Every single day that I show up here, I'm not here to peacefully protest. I'm here to disrupt until my demands are met. You cannot rebuild until you break it all the way down. Respond to the demands of the people or prepare to be met with any means necessary. By any means necessary. That's not just a slogan. No, it's not a slogan. It's not even a warning. I'm letting people know what comes next. And I thought that was really scary when she said by any means necessary. You know that is one of the hashtags for Black Lives Matter. But the hypocrisy of it all. You know, they need to. They need someone else to pay for their electricity. They need for someone else to pay for their internet. They need for someone else to, to bring them food. They need, they're relying on donations. They're relying on uh, taxpayers to pay for their porta pots and to take them away and to clean up after them. It, it's, they, don't want, they don't want police forces, yet they're walking around with armed guards. They want the abolishment of any kind of government guns on, on the police force, but yet they have them. Did you get to talk to anyone about that? What, Mary, are you telling me the left is, is there's hypocrisy in the left? I, <laughs> you're, you're shocking me. I can't believe what I'm hearing. This is crazy. Uh, yes, of course. Of course. It's, it's full of hypocrisy. Um, first of all, my greatest skill set is not as a filmmaker. It's not running into dangerous situations with, with you know, it's, it, it's, it's being able to hold, back how I truly feel when I'm talking to these people. To not reach across the camera and wring them by the neck to try to shake them into reality is my greatest skill set, okay? Um, no, it, it's frightening. The, the, their response to stuff is frightening, and yes, of course, it, they're, they're, they're full of hypocrisy. Um, and, and because, look, let's be serious. This is human, human nature wants to have a police force, a judicial system. These are, these are things that we need as a society. They're not, look, it's not that they want to defund the police or, or abolish the police in, in, theoretically. What, again, what they want to do is destroy our entire system. Look, when they, when they rebuild our system, it's going to be uh, totalitarian. Okay, you're not going to walk down the street without seeing security and watching what you have to say. They want a totalitarian state. That's what the left has always wanted. And and what all they want to do is get rid of our system and then rebuild their system in their image. That's what they're looking for. Uh, The mayor seems is obviously allowing this. Um, How long does this go on for? How long do they think they're going to be able to stay there? You know, I want to say that the, that the mayor, and it's not just Seattle, it's Portland, it's New York, it's L.A., that they have no backbone. But the truth is, they are, they're, they're quietly acquiescent, okay? They kind of like it, to be, to be totally frank. Because, look, she, can go, she, has a, she has a head of a police department who's ready to go and, and clean this place up today. But she doesn't want her to do that. Where does Ed, look, this, this cannot continue uh, ad infinitum, right? I, I spent time in the no-go zones of Sweden, in the no-go zones of Germany. I got beat up by, by ruffians in Stockholm because I went to a place I couldn't go. This cannot stand in this country. We will not have no-go zones in this country, which, by the way, this is exactly what this is. 
Uh, yeah. Thank God we have a president who understands that. And I think that a, a cooler head will prevail at some point soon, I hope. We will clean it up because we cannot have this in our country. No, no, we can't. But I also feel very strongly that the president, the, the, they want the um, the visual of the president going in with force so they can talk about, you know, to justify everything that they say is wrong with this country. Um, whereas I'm a big fan of turn off their Wi-Fi. Once they don't have Wi-Fi or they or turn off their electric <laughs> because they can't pay the bill and they can't recharge their, their devices, they'll be out in no time because they don't know what to do without those conveniences. Uh, stop delivering them food. Don't allow any more deliveries into the area and and you can really solve this problem non-violently or without a show of force so i think the president um is walking a fine line here when it comes to that um ami we're out of time but i i find you fascinating i love your videos it's at ami horowitz ami horowitz you can find him on twitter check out his videos and you know i hope you stay safe with everything you do because i also think you're slightly insane you and my wife also my wife agrees with you yeah, you know, God bless that woman. God bless her. you. Married a saint. You married an angel, Ami. <laughs> I, I did. Have a great weekend. Stay safe, thank please. You, and thank Bye-bye. you so much for joining us here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I've lived in Seattle for 38 years. For 38 years, in the last three years, I've seen the crime rate surge. I've seen homelessness slash drugs and gangs take over our downtown, not to mention the destruction of property that's happening here in Seattle and with no consequences. Uh, We have a judicial system here that is a revolving door. So if you're a, a store owner or a restaurant in Seattle, these are very, very difficult times. Uh, you know, it's. Uh, I met with the mayor uh, at a dinner in February, and I walked up to her table and asked, listen, what can we do? What can you do to help us downtown, to bring back downtown? She says, listen, Joey, it sounds like you're very passionate about doing, why don't I start a task force, and I'd like to invite you to be on it. And so this was in February. I called and called and called her office, Tucker, to no, uh, no answer. That's Joey Rodolfo. He's a Seattle business owner. He was talking to Tucker Carlson. And we were just speaking with Ami Horowitz, uh, who is a documentarian. And he went into the the chop, which he said is basically a no-go zone in this country. They are armed, roaming the streets. Where Can anybody else roam the streets of Seattle like that with, with, with you know, like a big AR-15 strapped across the front of them? I'm pretty sure the answer is no. But they're allowing it in this area. And they will come up and interrogate you if they don't like what you're doing. There was, um, it was interesting in the story, and Ami got this on, um, on the audio, he was interviewing uh, someone who was saying that um, this this is um, this this is peaceful, and there was a guy who was here, uh, and he said it was a, a super devout Christian guy came here, and he was spouting about God is glory. He hates homosexuals. He hates abortion. He was sitting there, you know, spreading very divisive words, and he was allowed to do it. Nobody hit him. He didn't get tackled to the ground. You know, because as the Seattle mayor said, it's like the summer of love there. And then a bystander who's walking behind the cameraman can be heard off camera saying, yelling, that Christian guy did get tackled. They had him on the ground choking him out. 
So they were putting up this this public face of this being all peace and love and hippies and, you know, daisies in the end of guns when that's not what's happening at all. And these poor business owners who pay taxes to the city of Seattle, their businesses, their livelihoods are, are just being ripped away. But I look at this guy, this Joey Rodolfo, 38 years, you've been doing business in Seattle. Who'd you vote for in those 38 years? Because the people in these, in these cities notoriously vote for Democrats. Which cities in this country are we seeing these uprisings, these riots, these attempts at creating zones like this, lawless zones? They're all run by Democrats. That's one thing they all have in common. So I stop feeling sorry for the people who are now stuck in these places with this inevitable outcome because you know what? You voted for it. You got the government you voted for. And so part of me doesn't really feel sorry for Joey. Now, a lot of these people will never admit to voting Democrat over and over and over again. But I saw I saw a movie. Did you see there was um, last week there was a video from the outside of of this this zone in Seattle. There was some there was a, a moving van. There was somebody moving out. They're moving out. But the problem is they move out of these areas. They go somewhere that they perceive to be more sane and safe, which is usually a red state. And they move there and then they vote for the same type of government. They just left in the area they had to flee from where the bottom windows in their their buildings are, are broken out. People are taking whatever they want. You have to get permission to leave your home from the mob that has taken over. And then you move to somewhere like, I don't know, Idaho or Montana or Wyoming or wherever they're fleeing. Uh, that's a red state with open carry and all those types of things and a, and, a, and a way of life that they say, wow, that's great. I'm going there. And then they vote to change the way of life that they just fled to. They vote against guns, even though they, they moved there knowing what they were moving into. And you see it happen all over the country. People fleeing New York, they went into New Jersey in the 80s. New Jersey used to be a red state. They turned it blue. Now they've created a mess in New Jersey. So they're fleeing New Jersey. They're going to Pennsylvania. They're going to the Carolinas and they're going to Florida. The Carolinas and Florida are going to be blue before you know it. They're fleeing California and they're moving to to, um, Texas. This is what they do. They're like locusts. They're like dumb locusts. Although locusts, I think, are pretty dumb if you think about it, because locusts destroy an area. They just eat it dry and then they move on. And that's what they do. They bleed these areas and they they make all these demands on resources. What do you mean you have a volunteer fire department in this little town of 1.5 miles? What do you mean it's volunteer? We need it paid. And they and they they raise up the the taxes and they do everything they can to change the way of life of the area to which they just moved. So while I feel bad for Joey. You know, he, he goes on to say that uh, downtown has been decimated. All you see is is plywood. Actually, um, do we have time for Joey here for cut 14? No, we don't have time. All right. Par- particle board stores opened up and there's no chance that this town will come alive again soon. And if you talk to the mayor, she'll tell you that's her goal here. Well, did you vote for the mayor? And I guarantee you, if this mayor chooses not to run again, or if she gets voted out or challenged, she's going to be replaced by another liberal. It's madness doing the same thing over and over again. I think Einstein said something about that. I'm Mary Walter, and you're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show.
News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, good morning. So glad to be able to join you today. Um, Coming up on the show in about half an hour, we're going to speak with Shannon Bream. Uh, We'll talk to her uh, about uh, DACA and that Supreme Court ruling yesterday and the backlash that has been sparked against Chief Justice Roberts with that ruling. Uh, Shannon, of course, being our our constitutional lawyer expert, and uh, so I always like talking to her. You know who else I like talking to? This guy, Tim Murdoch. He's the director of communications for President Donald Trump's 2020 re-election campaign. You can find him on Twitter at at Tim Murdoch, M-U-R-T-A-U-G-H. Find him on Twitter. Tim, thank you for joining us. Welcome back. Thank you very much, Mary. Happy to be with you. It's so great to see the president getting out and doing rallies again. This really is the lifeblood of his campaign. And the left doesn't like the visual of this. So they do everything they can to try to stop the president from having this visual visual of people camping out and to get in, you know, just to get in to see the president, you know, the, the, the full arenas with people screaming and yelling for the president and supporting him. And of course, they don't want the message getting out there either. So they try to prevent the president from having these rallies. Um, this rally, of course, the left is tutting about coronavirus. Uh, the president famous for not wearing a mask. The president uh, says, you know, I take precautions, but I'm not wearing a mask. He doesn't want that visual. What precautions are going to be taken at the rally? Are you taking everybody's temperature before they walk in? Uh, what's what's anything special? Yeah, that's that's what we're doing. We'll be taking everybody's temperature. Everyone who goes in will have a temperature check. We'll also be providing masks that people can wear if they want to. Uh, and we'll also there's going to be plenty of hand sanitizer available for everybody to use. We take the safety of uh, the people who are attending the rally very seriously. But Oklahoma as a location for this rally is is really notable because Oklahoma has been one of the best states in handling the coronavirus outbreak. And, and uh, we, we feel very confident uh, that the people who come to the rally, and we've got over a million ticket requests for people coming in here, uh, we feel very confident. And, and uh, we know, as you said in the lead-in here, we know that the left will try, and the media, most of the media, will try to take away the president's ability to come and, and communicate with the American people directly because he is so effective at that. And we also know that it will show a stark dark visual contrast between the excitement behind President Trump's re-election campaign and the sleepy campaign that Joe Biden is running from his basement. In a million years, Joe Biden could never get more than a million ticket requests for one of his campaign events, and everyone knows that. And so the left is going to try to do everything they can to stop the president from getting back out on the campaign trail, and he's been eager to do it, and we're looking forward to tomorrow night really, really tremendously. Yeah, well, um, Joe Biden could probably do something for insomniacs and serve warm milk and just put everybody to sleep and solve their problem right there. See, look at that. He's solving health care problems. A Fox News poll, to your point, a Fox News poll showed that Biden supporters are far more likely to say that Trump is the fear. The fear of Trump is the motivation behind their vote 
to choose Joe Biden, to vote for Joe Biden, uh, on, with 63% of Biden people saying that they're who, voting for Joe Biden. 63% of those voters said that it's because they fear that Trump will win. Enthusiasm for their candidate, only 31%. For Trump supporters, the numbers are almost exactly the same, but flipped with 62% of Trump supporters saying they're voting for Trump because they're enthusiastic about voting for President Trump, with 33% saying that their fear of Biden is the, is the motivation for their support of President Trump. And I think that's a, that, that is very telling exactly to your point right now. Yeah, there's a huge enthusiasm gap, and it's visible, and everyone knows it, and that's what this rally will will only highlight. We know that President Trump supporters would run through a brick wall to vote for Donald Trump. Ain't nobody running through a brick wall for Joe Biden. And we we know that he really, he's going to be the Democrat nominee because he was the last guy standing not named Bernie Sanders. And, that, and so they're, they're looking around and they think, geez, this is the guy that we're stuck with now. Well, I guess he's our candidate. And so most look, we know that most Americans know of Joe Biden just because he's been in public life for almost five decades. But not very many people know much about him. And uh, as we begin to educate Americans as to Joe Biden's record and his terrible ideas for the future, you know, he, the first thing he says he's going to do is raise taxes. And he'll also impose the Green New Deal on every business in this country and layer regulations on top of them. And it would, it would just decimate the energy industry and the 10 million jobs that go through that. How's he going to campaign in Pennsylvania, for example, and say that he's for jobs there when he wants to crush the natural gas industry, which is such a huge employer in Pennsylvania. It doesn't work. And so the enthusiasm gap is real, and it is large, and we know that. And that will be on display tomorrow night here in Tulsa, where I'm I'm actually speaking to you from. I, and I, I do want to come back to this poll because there's something else in this poll I'd like to bounce off of you. But one last question on the rally. I assume that the president is going to be hitting uh, the rally uh, the rally trail uh, coming up and planning more of them. You're restricted, though, to pretty much only Republican states because the Democrat governors are slow walking opening of those states. Are Do you honestly think that they're slow walking opening these states in order to prevent President Trump from rallying in their state? I think that's definitely a contributing factor, yes. I mean, just look at the difficulties we had in North Carolina with Governor Cooper there, where the RNC's convention was supposed to be for the to renominate President Trump and Vice President Pence. Uh, the governor of uh, the Democrat governor of North Carolina made it impossible to hold the convention there. And so I don't see why they wouldn't extend to Raleigh's, of course. Uh, there were a lot of cities vying to hold, host the convention, and ultimately the, the big celebration will be in Jacksonville, Florida now. But to your point, yeah, Democrat governors are slow walking the reopening of the economy. And look at the jobs report that was just out for May. Two and a half million new jobs created just in the month of May. It's the largest single month of job creation in the history of America the biggest month ever. And that means that the great American comeback is underway. But these Democrat governors and Democrat mayors are slow walking the reopening and are really depriving their citizens of sharing in the great American comeback. This is an economic rebirth that everybody has to share in. And if Democrats are going to keep the doors closed, 
in their states simply to spite President Trump while they're doing it at the expense of their own citizens. And sooner or later, the citizens in these states are the ones who have the power. You know, the, the governors of these states were elected by the people. And if they see that other parts of the country, like we're having a rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma tomorrow night, that's a great big symbol that it's ready to reopen. And people in these other states will see their governors, you know, resisting that. Yeah. And, and uh, that's that's really it's not healthy for the economy because we've got to get things going again. Well, they they don't care. They'll do anything uh, in order to shut President Trump down. And then they're just going to stick their hands out and say, look at how much the coronavirus devastated us. We need trillions and trillions of dollars. Um, And then if President Trump doesn't give it to them, they're going to blame him for it. But I want to get back to this poll because this poll has shown that uh, Vice Vice President Biden's lead over President Trump has grown. Uh, In May, when they took this poll, uh, your choice for president, if voting today, Joe Biden had 48 percent of the vote in May. He now has 50 percent. President Trump had 40% of the vote in May. He now has 38%. So this double whammy of the coronavirus and the the looting and rioting by the left is really taking its toll on the president because I, you know, I think the media plays a role in that as well. What does the president highlight in order to break through this and get everybody back on track? Well, look, no, no offense to you guys at Fox News, but uh, we have never really put any faith in that poll or any of the public polling, really, because we know that there is a hidden Trump vote. We know that polls uh, habitually undersample Republicans. Uh, and, uh, you know, if we were to believe the public polls, then Hillary Clinton would be in the Oval Office right now. In, in our own internal numbers, state after state, we monitor 17 states consistently. We know that the president is in strong position against a defined Joe Biden. And, and he's been consistent in that in those figures for for months. And now, and mm-hmm. then, look, we know. Look at the media and the way the media treats President Trump, and and the way that the media treats Trump's supporters. Really, practically calling every single Trump supporter a racist. Now, picture yourself as a voter. Your phone rings, and it's a pollster on the other on the other line. And now you know that this person knows your name and has called you at home, and they ask you, "Are you supporting President Trump?" Now you know what the media does to people who support president trump are you going to actually tell this stranger the truth who has called you on your own personal phone number at home or are you maybe going to say well i'm not too sure about saying that because i see what the media says about people like me so we don't believe any of these polls and we only trust the ones where we actually know that the data is real you know we spend a lot of money millions of dollars on polls and we don't spend that money to get lied to so we know exactly what the situation is and president trump is going to be reelected. Well, for your mouth to God's ear, um, you know, because I'm stuck in the People's Republic of New Jersey, so feel sorry for me. <laughs> um, debates. You ca- the, the campaign has come out and said that they want four debates with Joe Biden, and the president would like the debates to start earlier in September, the more towards Labor Day as opposed to the lower end uh, the later in September because of people voting early and remotely because of coronavirus. How many debates with Joe Biden do you honestly think you're going to get? Well, we'd love to get four. You know, we'd love to have more, but four seems like a reasonable expectation. I don't know how many how many uh, Democrat primary debates they have, 12 or 13, something like that, really? And that's, that's not an exaggeration. And when we know that in state after state there's going to be so much early voting, it doesn't make any sense to wait to hold debates until after people have already started voting. Now, I know that Joe Biden's position is and his campaign handler's position is that they don't want the American people to see Joe Biden. If you saw his speech that he made in suburban Philadelphia the other day, I mean, it was the middle of the afternoon and Joe Biden could barely function. 
it, it's it's remarkable. Um, at one point during the speech, he had a line that said, "Wake up." And then there was a long pause after that, and you have to wonder, you know, was he talking to himself that he needed to wake up? <laughs> it, was, it was embarrassing. Well, so, yeah, we want we want more debates, and we want them earlier in the calendar. And you know, we also don't want them to to uh, be head to head competing for viewers with NFL football games uh, if the if the NFL does have its season, because we want as many Americans as possible to see the difference between these two candidates, the vibrant uh, leadership of President Trump versus the, the sleepy incoherence of Joe Biden. And it's no wonder that they don't they don't want to do that. But that's what the American people deserve. Yes. And but that's exactly why it's not going to happen. Democrats know they they know they can't put him out there. They know they can't put him out there without a teleprompter. That's why my money is on two debates tops. That's all you're going to get. If the Democrats had their way, they wouldn't have him debate at all. They're going to hide behind coronavirus or something. There's going to be a reason why they can't have Joe Biden debate because he's incapable of it. He can't hold a president. He's not as quick on his feet as the president is. And I, I think Donald Trump will actually eat him alive. Live. And I personally think this should be on pay-per-view because you can make a lot of money for the two campaigns, right? Because yeah, it's going to be. A... Uh, that, I mean, uh, we hope that there's <clears throat> two debates would be just a complete disservice to the, to the American people. But, you know, the media would side with him. CNNs of the world would side with him, just like they are. Look at the double standard. You know, they had no problem whatsoever with hundreds of thousands of people amassing in these demonstrations in various American cities. No one said a peep about social distancing and everything was fine. And it's because they endorsed the ideology. They endorsed the message uh, of those demonstrations. But. Let it be a Trump rally, and oh boy, it's the end of the world. Yeah. You can't have that many people get together. Well, you know, we're in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Oklahoma is the most open state in the country as far as the restrictions go. They're all the way down through deep into phase three of the reopening. In Philadelphia and in Brooklyn the other day, and all these mass demonstrations, these, these are not cities where they're in phase three, no. But the media didn't care about that. But yeah. man, when it comes to a Trump rally, oh boy, everybody's right. very, very concerned. Tim, am I going to get in trouble asking you to if you would stay with me just so I could talk to you about the SCOTUS uh, decision yesterday on DACA, or is that not possible? No, yeah, I can hang on. Okay, I just don't want to get anybody in trouble because I didn't check this out with anybody first. I just went rogue here by asking you to stay. All right, all right. More with Tim coming up. Want to ask him about the DACA decision coming out of the Supreme Court yesterday? This was really important, and I really want to get to it. Uh, more coming up on the Brian Kilmeade Show. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Now, I know some people want me to bypass Congress and change the laws on my own. The idea of, of doing things on my own is very tempting. It, 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 I, I promise you, not, 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 just, not just on immigration reform. But that's not how, that's not how our system works. That's, that's, that's not how our democracy functions. 
Yeah, it's really weird. That is a flashback to President Obama, July of 2011. Yet Tim Murtaugh, the director of communications for uh, President Trump's 2020 reelection campaign with us, it seems as if that's exactly how it worked, isn't it? Well, look, I'm not going to get ahead of the White House on their reaction to the Supreme Court's actual ruling. We're, we're of course, the political arm and the campaign, so we don't set or make policy. And, and I don't know what uh, what direction uh, the president and the White House intend to take. I, I would say that there should be no ambiguity about where President Trump stands on issues uh, regarding immigration and the folks who have broken the laws to cross our borders to be present in this country. It has always been his desire to to put American citizens first in every decision that he makes. And I think it draws a pretty stark contrast again with Joe Biden, who has promised not to deport anyone if he's president in the first 100 days. And after that, after the first 100 days, only deport those people who have been uh, convicted of felonies while they're here in the United States. And of course, if you take out just the felons, that leaves a whole big, wide batch of other violent offenses and other bad crimes that are still only misdemeanors, but still bad crimes. And he'll, he'll let those people stay in this country, no question. But <clears throat> I think it, when it relates to the question about justices in the Supreme Court, this really underscores how important it is for President Trump to be reelected if you consider yourself a conservative. The president is uh, going to see his 200th judge, federal judge, confirmed by the Senate. And that is just an incredible record. He is reshaping the federal judiciary and putting in good, solid conservatives. And, uh, you know, that the next president is going to be able to appoint probably one, maybe two Supreme Court justices. And it is so important to have it be President Trump making those selections rather than Joe Biden. It's the same argument that was made uh, versus Hillary Clinton. And we know how important that turned out to be. It's going to be just as important again the second time. Yeah, absolutely. Although President Trump did pick Neil Gorsuch and he voted with uh, Justice Roberts and the liberal part of the judiciary on this one. Sure. On that on that point, I would say, look, there are going to be some rulings here yeah. and there that conservatives don't like. Now, put that up against the, the idea, what if every single ruling went against you? And that's the scenario we would have if you had Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden picking judges. There is no mm-hmm. question that uh, President Trump will pick will pick the best possible solid conservative justices. That's not necessarily a predictor of how every single case will go. But if you know anecdotally, you pick one case out of the pile that you don't agree with. Imagine if you disagreed with the entire pile. Yeah, no, I I agree. I agree. I just it's just amazing to me how the I don't want justices to rule based on a political ideology. And we're kind of out of time here. I don't want them to rule that way. I want them to be fair. I want them to just, you know, based on the law. Is it legal? Is it not? That's what I want from them. And I don't like this idea of justices who are politicized and ruling and, and legislating from the bench. Tim Murtaugh, thank you so much for your time. Great. If you do a rally in Jersey, you got to let me know. Or if you're thinking we about did, it, let me know. Too long ago. You, ne- you never know. We did, one, we did one last year, so you never know. You never know. I'll scope out a venue for you. Thank you so much. <laughs> More coming up. Shannon Bream is next on The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I cried tears of joy a few minutes ago when I heard the decision of the Supreme Court on DACA. The DACA decision is something that uh, supports our values as a country. This way is the American way, and we're very proud of it. Uh, Who do you think that was? Yeah, Chuck and Nancy talking about the decision yesterday coming down from the Supreme Court. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. And joining us now, our legal expert, Fox News, chief legal correspondent, anchor of Fox News at night, author of Finding the Bright Side, The Art of Chasing What Matters. Find her on Twitter at Shannon Bream. Shannon, thank you for joining us. Good morning. Great to be with you, Mary. So I need your brain because I'm not a lawyer, um, but I often play one on the radio. Uh, you but do. So when I heard this come down, I thought, wait a minute, I, this was not even an executive order, which I thought it was. But through reading, I found this was a memo that President mm-hmm. Obama put out that, it, and again, I may be wrong, that doesn't have the force of law, but yet it altered a law that was voted in by Congress. And I thought, based on Schoolhouse Rock, that a bill becomes law through by going through Congress. So how does the president have the authority to change a law that Congress passed? Yeah, I mean, executive power is a real thing. Executive orders are a real thing. And when the Obama administration made this decision, it, it essentially was giving guidance. Uh, and some will say, you know, prosecutorial discretion to immigration officials to say, don't prioritize these cases, prioritize these cases, you know, criminals and other people that we really need to push out of the country. But don't go after the people that are here that were kids. Um, So it's essentially saying, you know, prosecute this group and not this group. So the frustration for conservatives and for the Trump administration has been, if you can put a huge change into our society via an executive order, why can't you take it out via executive action? And everybody agrees you can. Even everyone in the Supreme Court agreed, you can do it this way. The Trump administration has the power to do it, but they didn't follow the correct process. So you see from the president this morning tweeting out, and we wondered whether he would just simply try to to issue another executive order or a memo to try to remedy this. And it looks like that's what they're going to do. Yeah, I, I don't understand. So, so am I wrong when I read it as the Supreme Court didn't rule on the legality of anything? They just said that we don't Correct. like the way you're doing it. Exactly. And that's the tricky thing is that the headlines were blaring yesterday, you know, huge defeat for Trump at the Supreme Court and, and you know, court smacks down Trump on DACA. Um, and it's really that's overblowing it. I mean, what they said was we're not getting to the merits of whether DACA is a good or bad program. Um, we're not getting to the merits of whether or not you can strip away protections via executive action. We're saying you can do that. We're just saying that the memo and the direction that you guys gave wasn't enough. And we need something uh, different than that. So, I mean, we talked about this yesterday about whether the administration this close to an election would try again. But it sounds like that's the route they're going to go and say, listen, uh, the president says, listen, the court didn't say we can't do this. So we're going to try again. We're going to send out a better memo or document about why and how we're going to unwind DACA. And um, we're going to say that that's enough. So whether the whole thing, it will absolutely be relitigated. It's not going to get to the Supreme Court by November. So people are just going to have to decide whether they think um, what the president does and taking another bite at this apple is what they want him to be doing. I mean, a lot of numbers show that people feel like 
all right, the people who are here that were brought as little kids and they're, you know, in school now or they're grown adults and they're working and they're productive members of society, um, a lot of people want a pathway for them to stay. Others say, listen, no, because if you do that, then you're encouraged, we'll encourage people to do this again in the future, hoping that those children will then have amnesty. So, um, you know, it sounds like the, the White House is moving ahead with another uh, another try at this. Yeah, because remember, each over the, every year, there are more and more kids who are brought in illegally by their parents. So the number of people who qualify for this amnesty that was made out of thin air by a memo from the Obama administration, um, which which is a carve out of a law, which, again, I'm really perplexed as to how that's even legal. Um it, 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 there's more and more of them. So so that just grows and grows and grows. And then there's more people, oh, you can't do that. They've been here forever. What about the children? And and Democrats just look at this, I think, as, oh, well, they're Democrat voters. So we're just going to keep this, this gravy train going. And we're just going to keep getting more and more voters uh, who, who down the road, uh, you know, will be will be Democrat supporters. But if let me ask you, so d- d- does it matter how the Trump administration says we want to get rid of this if what they're trying to get rid of was never legally obtained? Yeah, and, and that was Justice Thomas's point uh, in his dissent among many yesterday was, listen, this whole thing was unlawful in the first place, so we shouldn't even be looking into the minutia of whether the unwinding of it was done correctly. His estimation was the whole thing was never a proper setup. It was never uh, correctly done. And so we shouldn't even be digging into um, how the administration, this administration, decides to get rid of it. And he also said... This is a bad precedent to set because you're only going to encourage bad behavior that one administration will come up with things, uh, try to tighten it as much as they can, put it out via executive order so it's by the president or the executive branch, never goes through Congress, but do it in such a way that it's going to be hard for the next administration, whether that's a Republican, a Democrat, independent, whatever it is, that they have a really tough time undoing this stuff. So, I mean, he had a lot of warnings built in there. But to your point, Justice Thomas said this wasn't even a lawful program to begin with in his estimation. Yeah. See, you know know what the problem is? The president clearly needs to put me on the Supreme Court. Well, listen, I mean, a lot of people don't know. You probably do. But you don't have to be a lawyer to be on the Supreme Court. I mean, there's no requirement there. Uh, There have been people over the ages who were seen as experts or distinguished lawmakers or something uh, who ended up on the court and weren't lawyers. So, Mary, I'm pulling for you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you just need to see maybe having someone who doesn't know the law who asks these type of questions (laughs) is exactly the person you need on the Supreme Court. Right. I mean, listen, the president has said he is now so upset with the court, he is going to come out with a new list of potential nominees because, remember, he was kind of the first person to do this um, during his, when he was running in 2016, to not only put out one, but two lists of people that he said, these are the people I commit to pick from for the Supreme Court. Well, now he's coming up with a new list. He says he's going to have it out by September. And uh, he said it will include some people he's had on the list before, but there may be some additions. He wants, you know, what he says are going to be truly conservative people on the court. And so the new list is coming. I will look and see if Mary Walter's on there. Could you do that for me? I'm also pulling for Amy Coney Barrett. I, I think she would be great on the court as well. Uh, let me ask you, the president says he wants to put truly conservatives, uh, true conservatives on the court. Is the court becoming politicized in your when you see some of these decisions? Do you see that happening? We see it on lower levels in the courts. Uh, so a lot of people point to uh, Judge Sullivan, Emmett Sullivan, with the Michael Flynn cases having being as ruling based on politics. Are we seeing that coming out of the Supreme Court? 
They try valiantly to make sure that they are as apolitical as possible. That said, they're human beings who are appointed by presidents who expect them to, in large part, share their ideology. They wouldn't have picked them. Uh, But the chief justice seems to be especially aware and sensitive about the perception of the court and feels the need uh, and the duty to maintain its institutional independence and that kind of thing. And the the truth is, you know, we we sort of um, joke here in Washington about the fact that uh, Supreme Court justices often tack more liberal the longer they're on the court. Uh, It's really hard to think of a lot of examples where so-called liberal Democratic appointees cross over and vote with the right in big cases. It just it's it's rare. I'm not saying it never happens, but it's pretty rare. So um, as much as the, the Supreme Court especially does not want to be seen as political, I think it's hard to divorce their ideology and the reasons they were picked from the way that they make their decisions and, and the way they vote on these opinions. Uh, I don't think they're political in the, in the sense of Democrat-Republican. I do think that they're very political in the sense of they have specific ideologies, um, and there is wheeling and dealing and horse trading on votes on the court, trying to build coalitions uh, and get enough people to your side to be able to put together five and the five-four. So that's definitely part of how the court operates. You know, it's, it's very interesting to what you said there about how they, they tend to become more liberal the longer they stay on the court. And I wonder if that's because, you know, being a Supreme Court justice, you live somewhat of a rarefied life. You, you, you know, you have protection and a lot of the law, you, you don't necessarily live the way the guy down the street from you lives. And I think that that kind of gets used to when you lose touch with the people um, that you're, you're making decisions for. It's, it's like politicians. The politicians don't live in the same world that you and I live in. Nancy Pelosi has a nice big gate and a big fence around, a big wall around her property, but she doesn't think the rest of us should have that. She has paid security. She can afford it. The rest of us don't have that. So I wonder if that's the same thing that happens with the Supremes is they just get so divorced from the life that the rest of us lead that they tend to start to track a little bit more liberal. That's so interesting. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of speculation that once they're in D.C., they are in a certain bubble and a certain lifestyle. Yeah, they're not. I don't see most of them just running down to the 7-Eleven. Um, listen, they do regular things, but they do have security and they do have an important seat. I mean, among nine of the most powerful people in the world, really. And only they can know what that's like. Uh, it's a very small sorority or fraternity, however you want to look at it. Um, so I do think they're invited to the very nicest things. They're going to be, some of them hate the, you know, the whole cocktail party circuit. Some of them like it and they enjoy it, but it is a different world. Um, yeah. Than the, than the rest of us probably live in. Um, and you got to think too, a lot of them have already come from that place. By the time they get here to DC, um, they're very esteemed. They are already in the most elite academic circles, nearly everyone graduated from an Ivy League school and law school. So um, they've been in pretty rarefied company for a while. Yeah, well, you know, I hang with RBG sometimes at the gym. So, you know. Right, you guys can work out together. She spots you. You spot her. Well, she does plank better than I do. So uh, there is, it's a little embarrassing sometimes. And I do too, from from everything (laughs) I've seen about her workout. She's She's got me there. I have to tell you, I'm not with her uh, politically or ideologically, but she's a pretty cool character. So I, I have to give her that. I wouldn't Listen, mind running I mean, into her have, getting a slurpee. You have your own symbol uh, of the collars uh, and, and little kids and people dressing up as you for Halloween. 
listen, she's she's got a devoted following and and movies and and documentaries yeah. and um, she's a tough cookie. Yeah, she she truly is. She deserves the praise that she gets in that sense. Again, don't agree with her th- uh, politically or or, or any or legally or anything else, but um, she does seem like a lot of fun, and I wouldn't mind running into her at the Seven Eleven getting a Slurpee. Um, <laughs> Shannon, what thank her favorite you. Favorite flavor is. I oh um yeah I don't know uh Shannon great talking to you thank you so much for joining us have a fantastic weekend don't miss Shannon's show tonight eleven o'clock Eastern uh, Fox News at night find her on Twitter at Shannon Bream thanks so much we'll get opinions from the court again on Monday oh good well maybe we'll talk again on Monday that would be great okay, uh, more coming up on the Brian Kilmeade show this is the Brian Kilmeade show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. So we're just speaking with Shannon Bream uh, about that ruling that came down from the Supreme Court, and it's it's very confusing, and you got to make people scratch their heads, and it does look, according to Shannon, like the president is going to appeal this, and they're going to come back again to you know jump through the hoops that the Supreme said they want them to jump through before they decide, even if they, even if they decide if the ruling, uh, the, the Obama memo that started this whole thing was legal to begin with, so... Uh, that seems like a, a, a lot of work, and it's going to be months and months and months. And all d- during all those months, remember, there are more and more kids being brought across the, the border illegally. And the Democrats want them to become to, – to get protection because then if they do get citizenship, then they can sponsor their parents and reward their parents for breaking the law and bring their, their grandparents and brothers and, 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 you know, aunts and uncles and cousins and, and second, you know, b- brother-in-laws once removed and everybody else, uh, bring them in. Uh, and that's what the the Democrats want. Uh, well, conservatives are not happy with Justice Roberts. Uh, you have quite a few of them um, lashing out at him. Senator Tom Cotton said that Justice Roberts was Solomon, who will save our institutions from political controversy and accountability. If the chief justice believes his political judgment is so exquisite, I invite him to resign, travel to Iowa, get elected. I suspect voters will find his strange views no more compelling than do the principal justices on the court. Um, you know this. Let, let's go to let's go to cut twenty here. This is Chad Wolf, the acting secretary of Homeland Security, uh, speaking to Sean Hannity about the the decision. And Homeland Security, obviously, very involved and very uh, has a large stake in uh, you know the immigration of people coming here illegally. What I can tell you is that the uh, DACA program is clearly unlawful. And even the Supreme Court today, in their opinion, said that the Department of Homeland Security has the authority to rescind it. Uh, they simply didn't like the way uh, that we were doing it. And I think that's troubling to me because what we saw under the Obama administration, what you, a clip that you just played, is they made this program out of thin air, did it on a turn of a dime. Uh, this administration has thought long about this, thoughtful about this, decided to wind this unlawful program down over a series of six months. Uh, and again, what we have is uh, a Supreme Court saying that's not good enough. You need to go back at it. You need to relook at that. Uh, and that's very troubling to me. Yeah, I think we have a Supreme Court that has become risk adverse. Um, and I don't know why, because you have the job for life. 
Uh, you're, you're, you don't have to worry about being removed. So you would think that the, because of that, that they wouldn't be afraid to, to be honest in the way in which they vote on these laws. Uh, let's go to Tom Cotton. Uh, he also was on with Sean Hannity. It's cut 22 there, Justin. Clarence Thomas and other justices made it clear in their dissents that the law cannot be that what Barack Obama has done, Donald Trump and no other president can undo. There cannot be two sets of rules allowing Barack Obama to issue decrees by memo and forcing Donald Trump or other Republican presidents to jump through all kinds of legal hoops to undo those decrees. What simply has to be the case is that there's one set of rules for both parties, for both presidents, and Chief Justice Roberts continues to rule in ways that seem designed to minimize criticism from Democrats and from the media. Yeah, Tom Cotton was one of the uh, senators who spoke out against, you know, aiming fire at Justice Roberts. Ted Cruz was another one. He got on the Senate floor and said, judging is not a game. It's not supposed to be a game. But sadly, over recent years, more and more Chief Justice Roberts has been playing games with the court to achieve the political outcomes he desires. And he, too, was on with Laura Ingram. And this was last night. What this decision today is about is about five justices who want amnesty to continue, and and they're hoping that the result in November will be a a Democratic president that will ignore the law and continue amnesty. This this was a shameful decision today. And and the the Title VII decision you referenced was, was every bit as lawless. This is two in a row that have been really contrary to the oaths the justices take. Yeah. So uh, Republicans not happy at all with that ruling. And and again, ruling, as you heard Shannon say, not ruling on the legality of the memo, but ruling on the way in which the Trump administration was trying to undo a memo. It's not a law. So it's not like President Trump is trying to undo something that Congress passed. He's trying to undo uh, something that uh, a piece of paper that President Barack Obama signed that that changes a law that Congress put into place. So it's going to be interesting. This is going to take a long time. As Shannon said, this is probably not going to be resolved until after the election. And President Trump is just going to have to appeal to people, you know, maybe show people how illegal immigration takes their jobs or their children's jobs and appeal to that. I'm Mary Walter on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hey, good morning. Uh, Mary Walter sitting in for vacationing. Brian Kilmeade. Yeah, Brian finally taking a day off. He deserves it. Man works hard. Not that I don't work hard, but I'm just saying Brian works hard. Uh, So the president having his rally tomorrow in Tulsa. He moved his rally from today to tomorrow because today is Juneteenth, which is um, they're having a celebration in Tulsa today and tomorrow. They have like street fair and and, music. And Al Sharpton's having a rally today, though, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. But Trump couldn't have one because of coronavirus and it's Juneteenth and that's disrespectful. But Al Sharpton's having one because apparently coronavirus will not be coming into Tulsa until tomorrow. Not scheduled to arrive until tomorrow for Trump's rally. Will not be there for Al Sharpton's rally today. So, all right. Nancy Pelosi. 
did something to uh, in preparation for Juneteenth. She had a press conference yesterday, naturally, to display her good deeds and to virtue signal for all of us. Tomorrow is Juneteenth, a day that we observe as a day of, of freedom in our country. But the day that people in the West found out about the Emancipation Proclamation. In observance of that, I have sent a letter, she will see, uh, to the clerk of the House uh, directing the, uh, the clerk to remove the portraits of four previous speakers of the House who served in the Confederacy. As I've said before, there's no room in the hallowed halls of this democracy, this temple of democracy, uh, to memorialize people who uh, embody violent bigotry and grotesque racism of the Confederacy. Uh, interesting. Uh, Nancy Pelosi's father dedicated a statue in the city of Baltimore to a Confederate general. No word yet as to whether Nancy Pelosi has perched her home of all pictures of her father and any reminder of him. Uh, nor does she acknowledge that any of that happened because we're just memory holding any kind of history uh, that that the Democrats don't like. So. And, and if you want to, if you want to to talk about this, you know, my question is, why do you think the Democrats are doing this? You know, they they're 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 donning the mantle of we're we're getting rid of anything that hurts people of color. Seeing these statues hurts people of color because you know people of color are so fragile. They're just so fragile. They don't have the ability to discern a, a timeline of history. They don't have the ability to look at a statue of someone who was a Confederate general and use that to teach their children uh, about who that person is and what happened and how this country fought, uh, fought a war to stop that, right? Um, because the minorities, you know, the people of color, they are very needy and they're incapable of running their own lives, which is why they need the left to do it for them. Um, so the, oh, I'm going to give you the number 866-408-7669, 866-408-7669. Now I don't have a problem. I'll tell you right now, Juneteenth, I never knew about it. I'm learning about it. I don't, I don't see a reason not to celebrate it. I know it's going to be a holiday that I'm not going to get off. Um, I work Christmas for Lord's sake. So, you know, I work every holiday there is. So I know Juneteenth ain't coming my way as far as a paid holiday goes, but if that's what your community chooses to do, I, I don't see a problem with that. Why wouldn't it be a celebration, right? Um, and, and, and I get that. So so I'm okay with it. I'm totally fine with the celebration of, of a Juneteenth holiday. I'm against the Democrats politicizing it, but they wouldn't be Democrats if they didn't. So I went and I did a little, little research for you. This is how much you should love me. And I found the, I found a piece that tells me uh, the four, there were four former speakers that Nancy Pelosi ordered their uh, portraits removed due, because they were symbols of violent bigotry and grotesque racism in the Confederacy. I did a little, a little studying, and here, here they are. Four men, Robert Hunter of Virginia, Howell Cobb of Georgia, Charles Crisp of Georgia and James Orr of South Carolina. So I went and I, eat, I did research on each one of these men. And guess what? They have something in common. Robert Hunter of Virginia was a Democrat. James Orr of South Carolina was a Democrat. Okay, 50-50 odds that they're both Democrats. Uh, Howell Cobb of Georgia, another Democrat. Democrat. And get this, defying all law of any kind of odds making whatsoever, Charles Crisp of Georgia, also a Democrat. 
Can you believe that it was, she got rid of the portraits of four men who embody violent bigotry and grotesque racism of the Confederacy, and they were all members of her party. Weird, isn't it? How weird is that, that Nancy Pelosi is purging the history of her own party? Why would she want to do that? She moved the statue of General Lee down to the crypt in the Capitol. You know what party General Lee was? General Lee was a Democrat. So weird. Why does Nancy Pelosi want to remove all remnants of the Democrat Party and the history of the Democrat Party. And why won't uh, reporters ask Nancy Pelosi about her father's uh, history of, let's see, uh, her father being a symbol of violent bigotry and hatred? Uh, Excuse me, violent bigotry and grotesque racism. I mean, after all, he did dedicate a statue to a Confederate general in downtown Baltimore. He was responsible for that. And I think maybe she needs to confront the racism inherent in her own home, in her own family. It's weird how reporters don't ask her about that, though. It's so odd. 866-408-7669 in Galveston, Texas. Uh, Jason, good morning and welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, all right. Hey, that's very interesting stuff you just mentioned there. It's kind of weird, right? Very very, very interesting. It's that's something else. I uh, I also think you know removing history like that is just uh, it, it can be dangerous. You know the Nazis tried it with certain things, and you know if they're going to remove history, why not just have it a, a be a debate, a public thing, not not a not a mob, you know, and violence, and that just sends all the wrong messages right there. You know, if you're going to remove something. Have it be an open debate that's healthy, you know, not a not a not a war ensemble type, <laughs> especially you know, led by morons. Behavior. You know, it's it's being exactly. led by morons too. But but see, here's the thing: you brought up the Nazis, and I hear see liberals say all the time, "Well, you don't see any statues to Nazis in Germany." I'm like, no, but you know what I do see. I do see Buchenwald. I do see uh, all the the other concentration camps that were left standing as reminders of what happens if we erase our history. And I don't see people running around saying that those are hurtful reminders to Jews, you know, or people. (laughs) Yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. I mean, my 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 family's from Germany. My grandparents came to this country just before the war from the 1930s. They saw what was going on. My grand my their families weren't as lucky. My grandfather, one of his brothers wound up in not just one, but two concentration camps and he defied all odds and survived. But they felt that those symbols remaining and being preserved were so important to teaching history. And you take school children to them to learn what happened and you learn from them. You you can't necessarily look at these things as a monument to something that to greatness just because it's a statue. Right. The teaching tool is always the best approach, no matter what. You know, hey, and also I I did find out a little bit of of, of how Joe Biden's going to have his debate. You remember yeah. back in the eighties the the Max Hedrum program? Yes, yes. <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna roll him out on a television, and it'll be in the Max Hedrum style debate. 
And the freezing up won't be a technical glitch. It'll just be Joe. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Jason, thank you so much for the good laugh. You know, and, and listen, I'm not ignorant enough to think that those statues were not originally erected as as an homage homage to these generals. They were Americans, whether you like it or not. They were Americans. Were they on the wrong side of history? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean that they need to be erased from history. I think that they can be used as a tool to teach about what happened in this country, which was a really painful time in this country. And it doesn't mean some of them, listen, again, on the wrong side, they fought for the wrong side, but some of them were phenomenal generals and tacticians. Um, and I'm not saying you honor them, but you do learn from them. Uh, let's go to South Bend, Indiana, William on WTRC. Hey, William, good morning. Good morning, Mary. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Happy Friday. Happy you. Certainly appreciate it. I'm trying to... Here we go. I, I want to talk to you something about um, them defacing America, especially in the South, um, and somewhat in the North area as well, with getting rid of all these statues. And uh, they pulled another one, I believe it was uh, one of Washington last night, and then took the... Uh, upon themselves the audacity to throw a flag on it and start it on fire. Yes. And good, bad, or indifferent, history is history. And we there's a lot of great things that came from history. There's a lot of good things. There's a lot of things we look back upon. And, and again, when you talk about the learning aspect of it, a lot of things that we look back and we go, uh, well, we learned from that through history, we shouldn't have done that, or we shouldn't do that, or that isn't right. But history is history. It's a part of this country. That's what everybody, I mean, the whole foundation of this country is built on history that's behind it. So for them to be so biased, which, uh, believe it or not, they are, um, and, and saying that this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, and we're not going to acknowledge this, you have to acknowledge what made this country what it was. When, when you had made a comment a moment ago about um, that it wasn't right, I mean, the generals, they were doing what they thought was right at the time. Right. It, when, it, when, we turn, when it turns out, we look at it, we see that, no, that their ideals were not correct, but that's a part of history and learning how it's changed and how we have the opportunity to move to the betterment of this country and everybody, uh, citizens that are here. So just, just, I just very have quickly, a... Fred, I just want to ask you a quick question. Oh, excuse me, William, but just a quick question, and then I, I, I got to go. Uh, but sure. why do you think the Democrats are hell-bent and on warp speed to just keep throwing all of the people of their party, the founders of their party, on the trash heap of history? Because they're hoping, first and foremost, that nobody's going to acknowledge or recognize that there were Democrats to us. Um, they're just buy into the, the same thing of the, the movements that's taking place right now, and they're trying to, to uh, again, point them against the current administration. And in some way or another, they're going to try and make it seem that Trump's responsible for all of it. So, um, and yeah. anybody that's a Republican, unfortunately, and I know that's a very um, open answer or whatever, but no, I yeah, I think you're right. I, I think that they, they don't want people to know. They, they've kept, they've gone out of their way to keep an entire generation ignorant and not teach them history because they don't know the evils of socialism, the same generation. Uh, William, thank you so much. Uh, pleasure speaking with you. 866-408-7669. Nancy Pelosi making a big deal to celebrate Juneteenth by uh, removing the portraits of four former speakers of the House that were Confederates. And she called them the embodiment of violent bigotry and grotesque racism.
And so I did a little research. They were all Democrats. I thought, wow, pretty interesting how Nancy Pelosi really wants to erase the history of her party. Why is that? Your call's coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. This is a dream come true for me, the acknowledgement broadly of Juneteenth. As an African-American woman, I have celebrated Juneteenth for many years. Although we are only one race, we're not separate races, we're not racist according to skin color, we're not colorblind, we can see each other, but we've not learned that we are one group. Martin Luther King Jr. said we should learn to live together as brothers and added sisters or perish together as fools. Juneteenth in America being celebrated and acknowledged even in the economic era is a very good sign for America. That is Dr. Alveda King, the niece of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And she's very outspoken and you will see her a lot on the Fox News channel. And we've gotten to speak with her uh, quite a bit as well. And listen, I I agree with her. Juneteenth, this is when the the last slaves in Texas, about a year and a half after the Emancipation Proclamation was actually signed by by Abraham Lincoln and a couple of months after the end of the Civil War, word finally got to them because they were the furthest out. I mean, they were they were like on the edge of the frontier. It took that long for word to get to them that the slaves had been freed. So they were the, the last ones to hear. And, and of course, that's a celebration. And honestly, I never really heard much about it until this year, really. And um, so I'm OK with it. You know, if you want to make it a holiday, that that's great. Um just another comp day for me because I, mean, I work most holidays, right? A lot of us do. But um, to be celebrated, um, why not? I think that's fine. But Nancy Pelosi and the virtue signaling from the left in the name under the guise of Juneteenth, I think is shameful. I think it's really shameful. Uh, not that the Democrats know the meaning of the term shame. Um, but why do you think Nancy Pelosi and the left is trying so hard to remove any trace of the history of the Democrat Party? All these statues of these generals that they want taken down, Democrat, Democrat, Democrat. The four, um, the four former speakers that she had removed from uh, from the Capitol, their portraits, uh, because of their racist history. Uh, guess what? All four of them, Democrat, 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 Democrat. And I'm sure it's just a coincidence, but it's really weird. Why would Nancy Pelosi want to do that? Uh, let's go to Raleigh, North Carolina, and find out from Jeff, who's listening online. Hey, Jeff. Good morning. Good morning to you as well. As you know, at 4 o'clock, everybody in our, our city of Raleigh will have to wear masks when we go outside because the, the virus is uh, is uh, increasing. But let's get back outside? to our Outside? It's not outside. You know that you don't have to wear a mask outside. That's stupid. Oh, well, well, according to uh, the mayor, oh, well. um, we're going to have to do it starting at 4 o'clock. But anyway, let's get back to the bigger point. Yeah. Um, my, my family actually were slaves, and I was born during Jim Crow. So um, my, my thing is this, that the America today is not the same back then and during slavery. It wasn't the same. It isn't the same today when I was born, when there were signs that said no blacks, no Negroes, no mm-hmm. dogs. Um, I was born into that country, and I'm still alive. So what I'm trying to tell you is this. When I was born, every the liberals were the Republicans. The conservatives were the Democrats. 
blacks had, had overwhelmingly voted for Republicans up until the yeah. civil rights movement. So um, when you when you when you say about all those were Democrats, I mean, I've known that because they were the conservatives. Um, the parties have switched over time. No party has remained consistently liberal. Or so when you say those were those party, you what you're doing is a half half a truth because the liberals were Republicans back then. The conservatives were Democrats. Today, the Republicans are the conservatives. So let, let's let's tell the whole story. Let's just don't say they were Democrats. And like I said, the way that um, blacks vote for Dems, Dems um, today, when I was born, we voted for Republicans mm-hmm. until you know what happened in the 1960s. What the happened in the 19? Did the switch happen before or after the Democrats filibustered the Civil Rights Act of 1960 and 1964? It happened right around that time. I'm it, sorry? It, it, it happened right around that time when, when, when the, when the uh, Civil Rights Act was, was, was uh, passed. That's when the Dixiecrats and the rest of the conservatives got together and they all went to the Republican Party. How many really who switched over how many how many how many politicians decided we're going to go to the party that just fought for the Civil Rights Act in order to be racists? No, listen to what I'm saying. The conservatives, the conservatives, yes. the, the ones that fought against the the the, 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 um, the fought against. Uh, yeah. Civil rights were Democrats. You're absolutely right. When yeah. they lost, they all went to Republicans. Period. But the Republican, but and I'm, we're running out of time. But that doesn't make a lot of sense because the Republican Party was the one that fought for the civil rights. The Republican Party was founded in order to keep the union together and fight against slavery. So to say, well, they decided to go over there, doesn't make a lot of sense to me because it's totally ideologically different from what they believed in. All right, we got to run. More coming up on the Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Uh, that guy lies. That guy you just heard, Frank, there, he lies. It's not Brian Kilmeade. Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. Taking your calls, 866-408-7669. Um, I just want to add something else in here into our conversation. So uh, there was a, a very interesting piece that uh, actually Pete found, giving Pete full full credit, because otherwise he gets very upset if you don't give him full credit. And um, it, it's called How to Fight the Woke and Win, and what this piece says, and, and it's, it's long and involved, and so I'm not going to get into all of it uh, with you, uh, but, but just the basics of this. And it's, in, it's on AmericanThinker.com if you want to read the whole uh, article. But I just, just have a couple questions to ask you. Do you engage with people from the left? Do you engage with liberals? You, you know someone, maybe it's a family member, whatever. I'm going to be entering that minefield tomorrow, but it's my husband's family, so I'm just going to walk away and get a drink. That's just, that's just my strategy. I'm like, mm, out, and, and I go away. Um, do you engage? And is there a strategy that you use to engage? His last point in how to fight the woke, as he calls them, the woke, 
his last point in fighting the woke is just support secession. He said they want out, you know, these, these Seattle, some of these cities are like, yeah, it's time to go. He said it, the time has come for some areas in the U.S. to be allowed to go and build their desired woke-topia. We should let them go. The United States are indeed states, but they are not united. Secession is the only peaceful and moral long-term solution to the division in America. The other alternatives are continuing political and cultural war or total political and cultural submission from one side or the other. It's wrong that every four years, nearly half the country is shaking in fear at the prospect uh, that the other side might win the election. Such fear is a sign that two groups of people, so culturally and morally different, should no longer be together. And he ends it by saying, if America is truly an idea, then it is an idea that can be recreated anywhere, even in a newly formed country. And the author's name is Damian Max. And it's a good read, and I, I highly suggest you read it. Uh, but here's the thing. Have you noticed, once again, Democrats starting another another civil war? It was the Democrats who wanted to secede from, from the Union, right? They're at it again. Is history is repeating itself and no one's noticing. And it's the same players. I mean, different reason for them wanting to secede. They want to secede because now they're saying, well, the rest of the country is racist. Everyone's racist. While they erase their own racist history. You know, and this idea that the last caller had about how there was a big switch. There was no big switch. I find it hard to believe that people who filibustered the Civil Rights Act of 1960 and 1964, who who were against integrating schools, who were all about segregation, after all of that got pushed through by the Republicans, that they suddenly decided to become Republican. You know, we're going to join that side. That's like if Trump loses, me saying, well, you know what, I'm just becoming a Democrat now. Everything I believe in out the window, I'm just going to the other side because I want to be with winners. That's, that didn't happen. Have, have the parties changed ideologically? Absolutely. Are the Republicans the conservative ones? Absolutely. But the definition of conservative and liberal have also changed. So to say that, that the Republicans were the liberals and Democrats were the conservatives and that switched, the definition of those two terms switched as well. Now to be conservative, it means you're for free speech. That's not radical anymore. It means you're for enforcing rights. That's not radical anymore. It's for meaning smaller government and being, being self-governed. That no longer is considered liberal. That's no longer considered radical. That's considered conservative now. So the definitions have also changed, and you need to take that into account as well. So this, And remember, first senators, the first congressmen of color, the first black congressmen who served were all Republicans, not Democrats. They were all Republicans. And don't let them tell you otherwise, because it's a lie if they tell you otherwise. 866-408-7669. Uh, Ray Nevada. Ray, good morning. You're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hi there. Uh, it's nice to be on the show. Glad you're joining me. <clears throat> um, I was just talking to your people, and uh, lately I have been um, talking to Democrats, uh, moderate Democrats. Uh, I am a conservative uh but I don't really believe in far right wing, far left wing. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm I mean, progressives and all that, whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, that gets way out there. But uh, going from person to person and actually being able to talk politics between a liberal and a conservative uh, 
and I've had success with this one-on-one with about 10 different cases. I'm trying to continue this, and I would love it if American if America can get to a spot where we can um, talk to each other yeah. about politics so we can educate each other. Something mm-hmm. that I don't know that they know, I can learn, and vice versa. And I, I agree. For the most part, it blows up in your face. Yeah, no, absolutely. You're you're 100% right. And I think that's because you're dealing with people who are very emotional, and they feel a certain way about it. And the young 20 somethings that you see out there, you know, the very end of the millennials, the beginning of I think that's Gen Z, uh, the ones that are out there now, they have been raised their entire lives where there was no there was no adversity in their life. Mom and dads paved the way for them. They were lawn lawnmower parents, they called them, they just paved the way they they cut down any obstacle in their path. So they don't know how to deal with adversity. They can't, they've been raised in bubbles where it was all groupthink. And anyone who disagree with them, they just shout them down because they can't emotionally handle any kind of adversity or diversity of opinion. You know, President Barack Obama talked about the woke culture and talked about this when it was first starting out under the, you know, and Obama was the one who ushered in the wokeness. Don't let him tell you otherwise. Here's President Barack Obama talking about the woke culture. This idea of purity and you're never compromised and you're always politically woke and all that stuff, you should get over that quickly. The world, the world is messy. There are ambiguities. People who do really good stuff have flaws. It's interesting how that has gone by the wayside, though. And I, that's because the, a lot of people said the right thing, but they never acted in that way. So they may have said that, you know, you got to get over the woke culture. That's not the way life really is. But unfortunately, when you raise a generation to believe that they get very upset when there's hardship in their lives, they don't know how to handle it. Uh, He went on to talk about wokeness bringing on change. Like if I tweet or hashtag about how you didn't do something right or use the word wrong verb or then I can sit back and feel pretty good about myself because, man, you see how woke I was? I called you out. <laughs> Let me get on TV. Watch my show. Watch Gronish. Um, you know, that's not, that's not activism. That, that's not bringing about change. Yeah, it didn't bring about change. And that's why you see your cities burning right now, because it didn't bring about change. Let's head to Raleigh, North Carolina. Willard on WTKF. Willard, good morning. You're on the Brian Kilmeade show. Uh, Do you engage liberals? And if so, how? I I engage everyone. I have friends of all backgrounds and things of that nature. You know, my my issue is a comment you said earlier, you know, should, should the statues be taken down? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, they are a part of history. Yeah, you know, I, I don't, I can't say that they should or shouldn't. If they're not up there, you can still teach it, whether it be books in school or whether the case may be. Throughout history, kings, conquerors, queens, however, they have always made changes for the better of their people as mm-hmm. a whole. Mm-hmm. You know, and... and we, we will never be of, of one mind to think the same and be the same. It just will never happen. You'll never be able to appease the entire, all of America. Yeah, same. totally agree. 
but my my thing is for you to uh, basically categorize a group all black people as uneducated. I'm sorry, people of color as uneducated, incapable of teaching their children. It's not what I said. It's not what I said. Their life. You said that we are incapable of teaching our children about the history and thinking that that, that is bad. Uh-uh. And that we have to have the people on the left to run our lives. I said that's how the left categorizes people of color. They infantilize them and say that they can't do this, so that's why they need us to do it for them. That's why they need the government to do it for them. I, and I've talked about this before. I actually think that that attitude that you know people of color are incapable of getting uh, an ID, that's why we can't have IDs at the polls. That's racist. That's a racist thought to think that those people aren't capable, you know, based on the color of their skin. So you misheard me. What I said is that comes from the left. That is how the left is the left are the one who think that if a person of color sees a statue of a Confederate soldier, that they're that instead of instead of teaching their children about it, they automatically think that that's horrifying. And they we can't have that. We can't have people of color see that because they're not capable of processing it. I didn't say that's how I feel. I think that's how the left feels. And I think it's wrong. OK, well, in, in, in that case, I, I apologize for that. OK. But, and then with that being said, like I said, you know, throughout history, you know, kings, queens, everybody, they yep. found what they thought was for the best, the better of the people as a whole. You know? Absolutely. And, and I'm OK with voting on it. But with letting the people have a say, I'm not okay with allowing a group of people who are, for the most part, ignorant of history, toppling statues, for instance, to to um, um, Abraham Lincoln. Like that, that's just a mob rule, and we can't have that in this country. I'm okay with a reasoned discourse, and I think we need to have that. But I don't think we can allow um, mobs to make that decision for the for the majority. That's not fair. I, I totally agree with you. I, I- I don't agree with that either. I do not agree. I don't believe in knee-jerk reactions or following that mob mentality of doing that. I, I totally agree with you. I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you there. Like I said, they are part of history, and you, you should be. I, I, me, I, I kind of think they should be left so you can see what you shouldn't do or what who you shouldn't be like or who you shouldn't idolize yeah. and things of that nature. But, no, I don't agree with the mob mentality. I agree with you there. And, and it's just... It's the narrow-minded thinking that causes this, and you, and it, you have a small fraction of people mm-hmm. who who are, who are in it for the wrong reason, just to make whether it's to make a point or to further their agenda. Exactly. Look at us, Willer. We started out on total opposite ends of the spectrum, and now we agree. Look at this. This is see. This is why we have to have conversations. This is why we have to be able to talk to each other. Too many people have been cowed into silence and won't even broach the subject. And you may find, if you do, that you actually have more in common than you have that separates you. And we have silenced these voices. And that's really, really dangerous. And we have to listen. You know, he thought I said something totally differently, but that's not what I said. Because I do think that the left infantilizes people of color by assuming, you know, that they're not capable of getting a job. That's why we need so much welfare. That's why we can't take these people off these programs. They're not capable of getting IDs to vote. If If you need an ID to vote, you're disenfranchising black people. Why? How do you make that assumption? 
Every black person I know is fully capable of going down and getting an ID. And as a matter of fact, they do. And they hold jobs and they drive. But they, they're they very good with judging people based on the color of their skin and putting you in a box based on the color of your skin or your gender. And we allow them to do that because they're caring for us, because they care about us. They don't care about you. They care about your vote and they care about keeping you dependent on them as opposed to, to assuming that you can live your life. And that's the old, that's the epitome of, of racism. And they call it, they call it the soft racism, low expectations. That's what it is. Too many people don't see it. Um, at least that's my opinion of it. I, I think that they, they um, absolutely um, have, don't have good intentions uh, at all. All right. We're going to wrap this up coming up right here on the Brian Kilmeade show. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade. Let's get uh, Joel in North Carolina in here. Hey, Joel, good morning. You're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hey, how are you? I'm doing great. So so what do you think about engaging liberals and uh, also the idea of seceding? Okay, so in terms of like in- engaging with liberals, I wanted to emphasize what a caller before it said. And to me, it's, it's, it's all the same. I treat everyone... I, I try to treat everyone with an open heart, an open mind, mm-hmm. and listen to, you know, understand and, and respect what they're saying and, and not assume their intent, you know? Mm-hmm. And, I, like, when you you say something like uh, anyone who's knocking down statues doesn't understand history, that's a rash generalization. There. You're generalizing, a, I mean, even historians disagree about history. So even the experts can't come to, you know, decisive statements like you made about the Republican history. But my second point wait, was... Wait, 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 hold on. Just let me just say something to you. If you are knocking down statues, I do think you're ignorant because you you have no right and nowhere in history does it say that you have the right to make that decision for everyone. Your judgment isn't always the right judgment. And to think that it is and to think that you are the arbiter of what stands and what doesn't stand is ignorant. It may be ignorant, but it doesn't indicate that you're not aware of the history. Well, when you're when you're vandalizing this, the memorial in Boston to the first black regiment that fought in the Civil War, the one that glory was 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 fashioned after and you vandalize that. Yeah, you don't know what you're doing when you vandalize the statue to Terry to Harriet Tubman. Yep. You don't know what you're doing. You're ignorant. When you vandalize the statue to Abraham Lincoln. Yep. You're a moron. Well, you see that language right there. That's what I'm talking about. It's people have emotional responses all the time to things. It doesn't mean they're not aware of facts. Well, if you allow your facts to override your, if you allow your emotions to override your facts, you are not in control, and that's dangerous. It is dangerous. Wouldn't you yeah. like to address the the scenario that created this kind of animosity, this tension? I think we need to um, I think we need to address why we have people who feel that they're who are totally run by their emotions. And when they are confronted with something that that um, negates their emotions or puts their emotions into question, they lash out violently. Um, I, I think we need to question how we got here. Yeah. How did that become OK and acceptable in America? Well, if we wanted to talk about that, I think listening to some of the protesters who are protesting peacefully to give you some answers to why people are knocking things down. Well, 
I, I will Those agree be the with people you. I would talk to. I would agree with you about speaking with people who are peacefully protesting. But once you start knocking things down and you start looting stores or you start destroying public property, I don't talk to you anymore. I'm done with you. At that point, lock you up and you can think about it in jail. I do not coddle people like that, nor do I think they should be coddled at all. Uh, just very quickly here, I want, I want to talk to, to Pete here. Uh, Pete, Pete uh, we have a story that uh, we thought would be fun to end on, just a little fun story. The Bold and the Beautiful, which is a a soap opera, Pete is using blow-up dolls and actors' significance others in love scenes because of COVID. I'm just thinking of the the, the love scenes from Team America, World Police now, when uh, talking about this story. That's what that's what comes to mind for you. That's where you go. Yeah, we well, talk about blow up dolls, and apparently one of these dolls was a, uh, a corpse on the show. Well, now we know why Pete's sing- single. I'm Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.